If you geek out in online marketing, this week's episode is going to be as much fun for you to listen to as it was for me to record. Ryan McKenzie, I met, uh, I'm going to guess eight, nine years ago, just when I was starting in my online journey. He was a young online marketer that I met at a conference, lives in the same area as I do. And we became friends over the next few years and uh, attended many conferences together and had many, many conversations about online marketing. Now, his business has grown dramatically over the last 10 years or so. Uh, and they're heavily involved in a variety of different traditional publishing opportunities as well as online publishing. Now, this story begins about a year ago when Ryan and his partners started to market a product called a True Earth Laundry Strips. Now, it's important to understand what the product is. These are eco-friendly laundry detergent that are in little strips. You literally take one of these strips. They're just like a little, they're almost like a little ticket. And you drop that in your laundry and it dissolves into soap and there is no packaging or virtually no packaging. It's a very eco-friendly product. Of course, the soap is also eco-friendly, but the packaging is the big story. And I purchased it. Actually, I didn't even know that Ryan was involved in it. I'd heard a little bit of rumors and just kind of caught a little bit of the fact that he was dabbling in this space. But my wife bought this at our local uh, kind of green friendly store and we started to use the product and then I put two and two together and realized that it was Ryan's product. So I started to do a little bit of research and got fascinated by the growth of this product and how it had grown and the impact that it was having on the community. So I reached out to Ryan and I said, Ryan, would you share with me the narrative, the story of the growth of this product from inception, from when you first tried it in the marketplace to how it's now being sold? Because it is a product which, although it's a physical product, is very digital in nature because of how it's distributed and how it's marketed. This week on Gray Matters, Ryan McKenzie, and the marketing life cycle of a product. Steve Dotto here. How the heck are you doing this fine day? Welcome to Gray Matters, the podcast for those of us in the gray zone. What is the gray zone? Primarily baby boomers and Gen X, those of us sporting a touch of gray. We're interested in finding our place in the digital age. On this podcast, we will learn about online marketing, community building, social networking, all from our perspective. The world's changing. The job market is not interested in us anymore. We're facing the prospect of a reluctant retirement, and that is not cool. We need a side hustle to take our experience and put it to work for us. We need to develop mad skills, adapt, and evolve in order to remain relevant in the digital age. I can help. This podcast can help. I'm glad you found us. If you are like me and you're an online marketing geek and you love hearing the inside story of how different campaigns are launched and the success and failure uh, that is part and parcel of each campaign, you are going to enjoy the conversation that we're going to have in a few moments with Ryan McKenzie. Now, Ryan is what I consider to be a really agile online marketer. He's constantly looking at different ways of promoting products, of promoting campaigns, and he is testing out different different theories all of the time and he's one of those people that's always seems to be willing to make a change to make things work better he's constantly tinkering which makes it a fascinating conversation every time I talk to Ryan I come away with new ideas and new ways of doing things and just frankly a little bit fired up by the by the energy and the creativity that he brings to different campaigns so I know that if that resonates with you, you are going to enjoy today's conversation. But before we get into it, 
I need to take a moment and thank those of you who make this possible, our patrons at Patreon. I want to do a quick shout out to those of you who make this podcast, heck, to the entire Dottotech platform possible, and that is our community of support on Patreon. Patreon is a crowdfunding service. It's similar to Kickstarter, but for content creators like me. And we've got an amazing community who support us financially, making it possible for us to create this podcast, our weekly tutorials on Webinar Wednesday, our YouTube videos, pretty much everything that we create, which is the vast majority. The perks include access to our Webinar Wednesday archives, where we have over 100 tutorial webinars on productivity, online marketing, and content creation. And our latest perk is free access to our online course, Don't Retire, Rewire, which teaches baby boomers and Gen X what their online options are for reinventing themselves instead of retiring. The links are all in the show notes below, or just remember, patreon.com slash dottotech. We received just a ton of support this past week uh, from you folks, so thank you to one and all. Specifically, uh, Carolyn, Edward, Robert, Larry, Bob, Francesca, Andy, John, Leslie, Dr. Ralph, Papier, Kevin, William, Sigrin, and Jeff, and Cynthia, and Amy, and Paul, Kathy, Merrily, and Mel, and John, and Mark. Well, I don't know what to say. I'm just overwhelmed by the outpouring of support that Dottotech and Gray Matters has been receiving. So thank you, one and all, and welcome to the community. If you want to follow along at home with what we're talking about today, I encourage you to point your browser to True Earth. That's T-R-U dot E-A-R-T-H. Uh, com, just True dot Earth. There'll be a link below. Uh, that is the website where the laundry strips that we're going to be talking about, which are the star of the show today, along with Ryan, uh, which, which is the homepage where he promotes those products. So you can get a better idea for physically what the product is that we were talking about. But now let's jump into my conversation with Ryan McKenzie. I think what you've done with the laundry strips is is the closest thing to a digital product on the planet. I mean, if, if you think of a physical product that had to be built, marketed, and sold just like a digital product, it was probably, am I right? Is Was that your process? Yeah, I mean... I mean, we, we've got a kind of our own process that we've used across kind of all of our brands, but yeah, I mean, it started digital. It was it completely, we did not sell in stores before we sold direct to consumer. So, so it, yeah, pretty so, much same strategy. So take us back to the beginning. Where did this, where was this product born? The product was born, well, it's manufactured in, um, in New Brunswick, uh, Canada. So it's Canadian. I think they invented it probably like seven or eight years ago and, um, they had, had a couple of different attempts to bring it to the market and nothing really ever, uh, ever really stuck. And we had been, uh, kind of offered a crack at, uh, promoting it, um, a couple of years ago. And when I first heard about it, I was kind of like, well, you know, that doesn't really, it's not really my wheelhouse, like laundry detergent is not something that I really I don't know. I just, I never envisioned myself being a laundry detergent guy. So we kind of passed by, like if anybody can see this, there's, this is, it's just, this is what they look like, a little tiny strip of detergent. And I thought, well, how is, I, I can't even really believe that that would work. And I think that was, 
I mean, eventually that came to be like one of the, the bigger objections that people had, but, um, it looped back around and my wife was pregnant. Uh, I guess my son's, my youngest son's almost a year now. It was like probably a year and a half ago. Um, I was watching like YouTube with my kids and my other two kids and they're watching one of those shows where they unbox all the toys and all that stuff. And those shows are crazy popular, but I was watching them like, my Lord, there is so much plastic in everything. And I was like starting to feel like really judgmental of these people that are, that are, that are unwrapping these things. I'm like, that is insane. And you know, I kind of, I was at a period where I was kind of pessimistic about the future, about like, you know, not being jobs and like pollution and overpopulation. And it kind of all came together at this one point. And I'm like, that product, that product that we got offered a while ago and talked to our, my partners or whatever, and we decided, let's just bring it in and try it. And it, you know, we got it, we tried it. We're like, wow, this actually works. And I've been using that laundry detergent ever since. But um, yeah, that's kind of, we decided that we have this process and we decided that we would try and sell 150 of this, like subscriptions to this product in the first month. And if, and if we sold that many, then we would uh, take that, we would carry on with it. And we sold like, like 15, between 1500 and 2000 within like 30 days. So the initial, when you first saw it, now your background is print media, taking magazines, bringing them digital. So you've got a, you've got a solid foundation in the entire subscription world. I mean, that's in your DNA. It's fair to say. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you, when you saw it first, you thought of it immediately as a subscription product. Yeah. I mean, I try to look at everything from that, through that lens recurring revenue because it it solves a lot of other entrepreneurial challenges with like you know cash flow and stuff like that so it, so you've got marketing you've got a full marketing team you've got a full just you've got you've got a lot of assets at your fingertips what was the process you went through to get that to target that first 150 where did you decide to bring it to market first and talk to me about those nascent stages yeah. So, um, kind of leading up to the whole, the whole like going live thing, um, didn't have a hook in my head or I didn't have any sort of like, like perspective on how I was going to, to put this out there. And I, I know, I know a lot of people probably have those moments when they're driving, where they get into like this, like moment of clarity or in the shower. For me, it was in the shower. I was it's like, always in the shower. Yeah. The shower. I don't know what it is about the shower, but, <laughs> uh, I was in the shower and I'm like, well, and you know, an eco-friendly laundry detergent that's as sensitive on your skin as it is the environment. I'm like, Ooh, that's good. And I like hopped out of the shower and I like, get my iPhone and I'm like, blah, 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 blah. Like just like creating, um, like, like a sales pitch almost. Um, and I got really excited about it. We do have a team and we do, we have other, we had other products or whatever, but for this, it was just like, okay, I'm going to put together a basic piece of content, like a sales letter. And, and we'll, we'll try offering it to a couple of our brands and I'll, I'll put out some Facebook ads. So the first day I, I just started with the Facebook ads and I created a couple ads and like four or five and it was like literally crickets. I sent it to somebody who I, who I used to work with when I was in the telecommunications industry and she's like, oh, I'm going to try it. I'll buy it. She was customer number one, but nobody bought the first day. Like the Facebook ads did nothing. And I was like, oh, kind of bummed because you get like, I, I, I go through these phases where I'm really excited about something and then it gets to be like the day before we launch and I get really scared and I'm like starting to get like insecure about what I thought was awesome. And then it, it launched and it was kind of that first day was like crickets. Um, I didn't change any of the ads or anything. And day two, um, all of a sudden it wasn't crickets. It was like for whatever reason. And I mean, anybody that ever launched, if you ever launched anything on Facebook, 
using Facebook ads. Uh, they're they're ext- they're extremely volatile. Some some days the algorithm just decides to not give you any love. And and in this particular scenario, I guess that was it. But uh, you know, I left it, and the next day, boom! All of a sudden, we were getting like very profitable purchases. And um, from there, we also launched uh, to explore magazine and a few other places. But majority of the sales did come directly through Facebook ads, and. It, they started, they were fast and they were furious. And my kids were at swimming lessons at the time um, here in uh, uh, Coquitlam, British Columbia at the, the aquatic center. And I was like, I'm like trying not to get in trouble with my wife, like trying to pay attention. I'm like, look, like doing one of these down on my phone, like looking at like the Stripe notifications. And I was just like blown away by um, it was like that. I don't know if you remember that IBM commercial. I think it was where they like, Oh, let's go. Let's click the launch button and they click it. And yeah, but it wasn't. So the first day wasn't like that, but day two was like that. And it just continued. So it was a very quick launch from your perspective because the packaging, because they did the company already have all of the packaging in place and everything in place. Or did you guys have to go through that process as well? No, we had to go through that process. And that was actually a mistake that we had made in this whole process was, um, they were using um, like a recyclable plastic, soft plastic um, packaging. And I was fairly new to like the eco space and like our whole team was. And we're like, OK, well, it's recyclable. Right. Um, and we kind of didn't know how taboo that was in that space. So we launched with it and a lot of people were still happy about it because it was substantially less plastic than what you would see in a jug. But um, we still got a lot of pushback from people because it was it was it was almost like greenwashing, right? Greenwashing is where you say something is uh, green to like brainwashing people into believing that your product is healthier for the environment. But it's like sugar free. Exactly. We we produced the packaging or whatever. It, it would actually look quite a bit like like this. It just was in like a, a plastic sleeve with a little zipper. You know, it looked great. It was shiny. Um, but we got really bad, right? We, we had a mixed chunk of feedback. We got some really bad feedback from the people that are very, very eco-friendly. Mm. So, but you were able to quickly shift that. That was, that wasn't a huge issue. No. Yeah. It took us, uh, so April, May, June, probably to about four months in, in the summer, we were able to, to switch to this. What we did is we actually created a packaging, um, that is like ultra efficient. It's a, it's a, it's a self mailer and it's the, and it's the packaging. Now I know you love social opportunities. You're always into Facebook ads and Instagram. So what platform I, now when I look at this product, you said you started it with Facebook, but I thought this has to be an Instagram product. This has to be something that really took off on Instagram. Am I right? Surprisingly, I was actually thinking that as well. I mean, I, I, when I say Facebook, I just lump all Facebook products together and Instagram is a Facebook product, but we actually did better uh, in the Facebook feed than on the Instagram feed. Really? Yeah. I, I still don't know hundred percent why. Um, but, uh, yeah, I did. It's weird. It is now it's now it's way more balanced, but at the beginning, for whatever reason, I have no idea what it was. Uh, Facebook optimized to like, like Facebook feed. So will you share some numbers with us? So, so you launched, you wanted to get 150 subscriptions and the product is, is that at about $20 a month? In, is that at what people are spending roughly? It's about 13 bucks a month. For $13 a month. So how yeah. much did you invest in Facebook ads in order? What, like, what was your budget? Like, we were willing to spend this much to get this much traction. Um, Do you remember? You know, we were, lo- we were looking, I mean, when we started, we were just, we were trying to get like close to a, an even return on ad spend. Um, and I was like, I, it was crazy at the very 
every like my seat, my cost per acquisition is nothing like this anymore. It's definitely gone up as we've gotten larger, but we were paying probably like between 10 and $20 per purchase. Um, and we had, we had an upsell for the other cent and a couple other things to try to drive up our, our average order value to, to make it so that it was, that was more break even on the front end, which is, which is basically keystoning it. It was the, so your first purchase paid for the acquisition of the customer and everything after that would be gravy. Is that, was that the kind of the model? Yeah, that's, and I mean, my model as a whole is generally, I don't actually mind losing on the front end, not on a new product because I, I don't know what the lifetime value would be of that particular customer customer, but like right now on average, I probably lose a tiny bit of money on the front end to acquire a new customer. But I know like once people try the product, they, they, it's uh it's, it's an investment. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're, we're customers here and now you sell it also in bulk to, to green stores, to stores that are eco-friendly. Like I know when we buy it, there's no packaging. It's just the strips. Basically we weren't, when we first started, it was just us selling direct to consumer. And after probably like two weeks of having the ads out there, we were starting to get like retail requests and we're like, well, I mean, we've had magazines in retail, but we've never sold anything direct, like, like in that capacity before. So we just like, all right, let's wing it. So we put up uh, an active campaign form on the, on the site as a wholesaler and people were like, well, we want bulk. We're like, we got bulk. Okay, here you go. Right. So we, we, you know, we set up some rules and like some minimum pricing targets and stuff like that. And we just ran with it. And what was really cool from an advertising perspective, like, is that we would say we spent, you know, say we spent $10,000 on Facebook ads to, to, make sales. And that's just a total fictitious number I just made up. We would probably generate $2,000 worth of wholesale sales or new customers just based on people coming, seeing the product. I mean, that would be really cool to have in my store. Then like there was no aggressive wholesale targeting. They would just go down to the very bottom of the page, see the link in the footer and they would apply. And that's pretty much how probably 80% of our retail came to be. So am I, am I right? Are you over the one year anniversary of launching the product now? Yeah, we, April 2nd was one year. So, so it's a year. So what's your churn rate of those first 1,500 customers? How many are you retaining? I don't have that number like directly in front of me, but um, we, we actually, some things changed from the beginning, but I, we, we, we retain about 93% of our customers. When, when we, for like month to month, when we first launched, we only offered a subscription and it was month to month, which does not like uh, there was a big learning curve there for us because not everybody does 32 loads of laundry a month. So, and to be honest with you, you sell a strip. We tear the strip in half all the time. I know you shouldn't tell you that, but we, <laughs> and it still works great. No, you should, man. You know what? At the end of the day, we're here to try to reduce consum people's consumption. And if th th that makes your laundry clean, then I'm, you know what? That's all for it. Right. Um, what was I going to say when we first started, we only offered monthly. We would let people do one-time purchase for like 20 bucks a pack um, if like through Facebook message or something like that. But what we found out, so around July we switched and we allowed people to choose their frequency so they could do monthly, bi-monthly, quarterly, or like every six months, or they could still do that one-time purchase. And what we found, um, so I, I was looking at this data just the other day, the Lifetime value on the customers that we acquired uh, in July that took the monthly subscription are about $15. Like, I mean, it was a $12 product. So like if that, let's just say they're like $125, um, they're about $15 higher than the cohort from May who were forced to take the one the month to month subscription because 
they got into the subscription knowing that that was the amount of laundry that they would be using on a month to month basis. So it's, it's, that's, uh, that was a huge churn reducer for us was allowing frequency selection. So within the space of a year, you went from selling on Instagram and Facebook primarily and then so, main social platforms. So at what point did you guys uh, branch out and start looking at, I noticed you, I don't see you in Walmart, but I do see you very pre prevalent in, uh, in Amazon. So at what point did you guys, what point did you guys add the Amazon store? June, uh, which was, I guess it been three months after we started. I had never done anything on Amazon before. I know lots of people who that's where they start and they're very good at doing that. We launched and I literally, I went to Harrison Hot Springs uh, and I was with my family and I'm like, I should probably just see what's happening with that Amazon thing that I launched. And I never did any ads or anything to start. And I logged in, I was like, holy smokes, like, we're like, we did like a hundred. I mean, to me, this was huge because I've never done Amazon before, but I was like, we're, we sold a hundred bucks worth of this stuff on the first day and I didn't do anything. This is like all halo from all the other advertising that we're doing. That was a big light bulb moment for me um, from a direct to consumer brand, because there is a large subset of humans that will only purchase from Amazon because they don't trust anybody else when it comes to online purchases. So if you're not also selling your product, if you have a brand or something like that on Amazon, you are losing out on a lot of revenue and like I can directly see it. Like if I spend a ton of money on Facebook one day, we'll see an equivalent boost in our sales over on Amazon as well. And are you in the subscribe and save store on Amazon as well? I am now. Yeah, we weren't until they make you have your product on there for like, uh, I can't remember like three months or something before they'll let you, but we are. Yeah. So talk to, so uh, one of the things that I always worry about being Canadian is if I, if, 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 when a physical product launches, my, one of the first questions I have is how the heck do we get our product into the States? What's the most efficient method for us getting it into the States? Now, when you launched, were you shipping from Canada to the States or did you set up a warehouse down there? So you mean like from on Amazon or, or no, no, you're, I want to, I want to take oh. us to Amazon. But when you yeah. first started before you were with Amazon, uh, we, we have a warehouse here in, in, uh, Vancouver and to this day, we still actually ship. We have some fulfillment centers in the U S but majority of them, we actually ship direct um, from our warehouse here. Excuse me. And is it, is that cost effective shipping to the States from Canada? I mean, you got to realize we do a lot of volume. So we've negotiated quite a bit with Canada post and we've more or less got the same rates that like Amazon sees. Um, but like for us to ship into the U S um, I would guess like this is probably about four bucks, five bucks. It's not, I mean, considering it comes out of the, out of the, the, the margins, it sounds like a lot, but um, it's, it's, it's reasonable because it's small and light. And what about the turnaround time? People expect really fast delivery of products now. Was that an issue? Yes and no. So because it's a subscription product, um, like the first, it, it depends. So we weren't doing track pack at first um, to the US and that did cause some problems. So, I mean, Canadians are a little bit, they're used to having slower service, I guess, as a whole. But the Americans, like you said, they want they want quick service. So we switched to track packet, and um, that's allowed us to calm a lot of nerves. So it's not that it's getting there faster, but they know where it is. It's, they know where it is, and they understand. Like a lot of people understand, when you're buying a twelve dollar product, we're not going to put a ten dollar. We're not going to give you free shipping and do a, a ten dollar. Um, like we're not going to pay ten dollars to have the the product shipped. It just doesn't make economic sense. Um, 
So when you then stepped into starting to sell with Amazon, did that change your international sales and kind of the equation? A little bit because we, we actually started just on Canada because like I had, I had no experience with Amazon. Like I just went in there and I poked around until I, I figured it out. And I, I, like I said, I have friends that are really big in it and I was asking them questions, but you don't want to be too much of a pain in the butt, right? So I tried to set it up. I got it going. It was rolling. We did FBA. We sent them a couple packages and it worked well. So we decided to, I, to try to figure out the U.S. side, which is more or less the same. It's a little bit different, but it's more or less the same. Uh, and we wound up just sending inventory uh, to the U.S. Um, and yeah, it's obviously it costs you a bit more to, to ship to the U.S. than it does here. And in, look, just one quick thing with like if you're shipping inside of Canada and you're Canadian, you can use like Amazon's shipping rates through UPS, which are significantly cheaper to do that to the US. You have to be an American to, to qualify for that and be in the United States. So we use like DHL. Uh, we were using DHL initially and now we're sending like now we're sending um, pallets, but which is another headache. But so just just for anybody listening that doesn't know, we, we used an acronym there. FBA is fulfillment by Amazon, which is the partnership between independent retailer or uh, manufacturers like Ryan's company and Amazon, where they act as the fulfillment house, <clears throat> yeah. which is yeah. Amazon has a whole bunch of different business models where oh. they deal with us. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I would not do FBA. We tried FBM, which is fulfilled by merchant, and we almost got our account shut down because they have so many rules and they are like and insane they're like the strictest mom ever like you know when you went to a friend's house when you're a kid and there was the one mom that looked like she was just like everything was like laid out in a specific way and you do everything exactly her way or you're like i'm gonna call your mom you're going home it was they're like that person's mom amazon's the mean mom okay so now i know you how much you love social platforms as you started to discover amazon like starting to work with them uh, do you spend as much time worrying about your social marketing on Amazon, your sales pages, the reviews, how you manage the social proof in Amazon as you do in other platforms? I don't. Um, I mean, unless you have uh, Amazon brand registry, which is like you have to have a trademark to your brand trademarked, and we've been fighting a trademark battle for a little bit. Um, so we don't have it yet, but unless you have a trademark, you, you can't really do that much. So like you can do your bullets and you can do a little description and that's really it. Um, obviously that information is important for helping you rank, but, uh, grand scheme of things, you know, I feel like like your reviews and your relevancy on keywords. So relevancy, meaning when somebody searches for your, 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 your keyword, if they make a purchase after clicking on your, um, your, your product, um, that increases your relevancy on that keyword. So um, basically those are the two things that I kind of try to pay attention to. So getting um, reviews and the relevancy. So one hack to getting that relevancy is you can buy, um, you can do Amazon ads on the keywords that you want to rank for. And unlike Google, uh, when Amazon sees that you're making sales on that keyword, even if you've purchased it, it still positively impacts your relevancy to them. And it's like buying end caps in a, in a, the old end caps in a store, right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, so I know like there's a hundred thousand different ways that you can go about trying to get reviews on Amazon and most of them don't follow their guidelines. So my strategy is really simple. I just pay for keywords that I want to rank for. And I, um, I also bid defensively. So I bid on my own brand keywords uh, to prevent other, um, other brands from trying to like take my, take my sales. And 
I just, you know, I was just been, I was just patient. So I just spent money and went after the keywords that I wanted and let the uh, reviews accumulate organically. And I don't want to be in a position where I get penalized for something. So you're not really using Amazon as much as a social network, as a search engine. It's really the search engine features of Amazon. Because uh, I know that when I go into Amazon, when I do a quick search, I mean, your stuff pops immediately. So the, so the typical customer journey is probably Facebook ad, like the idea, go to Amazon. They're already typing in, at the very least, laundry strips, but maybe yeah. True Earth, right? Yeah, for sure. And Amazon was bidding on all our keywords too. So like once Amazon had us on there, they're like, it would be, if you looked up, if you Googled true earth, it would be our true earth ad would be first. And then number two would be Amazon. Like, so it was, it was just kind of like, I would be paying them again for my click on the backside. It's just, it's, it's fine. It's the, the things we do that make your head, just make you shake your head and go, Hmm. Now, what about uh, your retailers? Do you have any rules with them as far as taking your product and then reselling? Yeah. So that's another thing that we had to learn. So initially we, we allow people like, we'll allow F like fulfilled by merchant on, um, in certain scenarios where it's approved by us. Um, we we've had a few people come in and, and ignore our rules about putting it on FBA. So we don't want our inventory getting commingled with other people's inventory. So we've had a couple little little battles over it, but uh, they've mostly been resolved. Um, but from a pricing standpoint, we do have we have minimum advertised pricing um, sheets for every country. So we call them maps, um, and it's kind of like your MSRP kind of thing. But like the lowest that people are allowed to sell it for. And I, you know, we catch people selling it for less periodically, and then they basically get we shut them down or we don't let them purchase from us anymore. Now I know that you uh, embarked in that you that you're not just building this brand through running ads on Instagram and Facebook and uh, you know doing listings on Amazon that you guys believe in content marketing you believe in creating a trust funnel with your community. I know you've been investing in that. Can you tell us where you are with that and what's happening with that story and how you're how you're planning to use that? Yeah. So, I mean, it's funny because that's my background and we didn't really start that way. So, I mean, we created a bit of content for the brand on other people's sites. Um, and that, that worked really well because it kind of also acted as like a third party trust when people found the content. That was how we kind of started and that worked really well. Um, like, you know, listicles for things where we were the, 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 the bottom one and we would send a bit of traffic there too. Um, but we literally launched our own blog, uh, our literally our own blog content. Yes, yesterday, yesterday, the day before. My days are like whoo, all blending yeah, together. Well, we're in, we're in we're in the uh, we're in the the, uh, the groundhog day of the COVID epidemic. Right yeah, now. yeah. So, yeah. It's like how many days have I? Every day is the same. Now? If I didn't have live streams to do, Ryan, I wouldn't know what day it was. <laughs> oh, that's good. You got you got at least you got a, a way to keep yourself in check. But uh, um. Yeah, so we launched. We just launched that like two or three days ago, and basically, we launched something kind of similar to it about a, maybe maybe actually it was April first. We launched something called True Change, which is like a curated newsletter. Um, so it's not even it's like ninety nine percent of the content's not even ours. We're just like we're just finding really solid content that fits our avatar, and we're uh, releasing that three days a week um, for people to consume. So yesterday or the day before, whatever it is, we started putting together uh, content on the blog. 
um, with the goal of the content to push people into the true change newsletter. Not even, not even the true worth newsletter. Like there's like literally no direct response sales. The only thing that's, the only thing that drives people to our brand in that sense is that it's brought to you by true earth every, every issue. And there's a link that you could click to, to get the true earth. So it's, it's really that side of it's really altruistic and it's really about building an audience that trusts us. Building trust. That's I just did an interview with Mark Sheridan and that's all we talked about was trust. Uh, that's his word of the decade. So how did you, one of the challenges that, uh, you know, certainly kind of resonates back for me as a baby boomer now, especially with so much of our community here on this podcast, looking at reinventing themselves. Did you have a really clear idea who that avatar was of who your customer was when you started? If not, how did you go about determining who it was? Cause I, I just get the sense that you really, that that was a, a really clean hit for you that you guys got that right out of the gate. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually can remember lying in bed. Like, I mean, I, I, I do this a lot. I'm like laying in bed and I was like, trying to imagine who this person was. And I was picturing them in my house, which is kind of funny. Um, and my wife's, I guess, probably falls into that avatar. So it probably helps. But I was laying there and I was like thinking, okay, it's like this mom, she's got like a, a few kids or like three kids. And like, she's running around trying to do like 100,000 things at once. You know, she wants there to be a place for her kids to be able to continue enjoying their lives in the future. Like she doesn't want the world to fall apart because, uh, you know, people continue to, uh, create waste and damage, like, you know, the, the climate and so on and so forth. And I mean, I was, I, I'm, I, I'm always very pro avatar, um, and finding, figuring out who that is. But since, since then, like, I actually think before you should be, and I, I was having, a, I was on another podcast a couple of days ago talking about this exact same thing. And I actually think that it's smart to create your brand story almost before you create your avatar because it's, it's, I think at least personally for me, it's easier for me to kind of like curate my avatar when I know what the narrative is. You know what I mean? Because I can like, okay, well, what is somebody that, um, like, and I know, I know that we're, we're just people. So, um, we're trying to keep 700 million laundry jugs out of landfills a year in North America. So like when I, once I know kind of like our hook and like kind of what, what we're trying to accomplish, like what's our movement, it's a lot easier for me to be like, okay, well, I know that since we want to keep the laundry jugs out of landfills, there's probably a lot who, who is concerned about that particular problem. And it's like, okay, well, um, people with young kids probably have anxiety about the fact that their 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 kids are in this world where like we have like artificial intelligence coming. We have um, you know starting to see like overpopulation problems. We have climate change. We have like new diseases and de- pandemics, like all these things, right? So it's like okay, well, if you can if you get an idea of what your story is, it's easy to work back because you can isolate the problem and then you can figure out who fits into that problem. And I just find a lot of times where people are like, okay, this is my avatar. She's a uh, Susie. She's like 37 years old and she's gone to this school and done this. And like a lot of that stuff doesn't really like you, you can go and wrap a story around that afterwards, but I find it it's easier to create the story and the narrative. And then like, I mean, you create the story and the narrative and then you can kind of like isolate that avatar and you can determine whether or not it's a broad enough market to even fulfill that, that narrative. Right. Um, but for me, that's, that's kind of my process and I'm really long winded. I apologize. No, no, no it's, it's good because 
we often get stuck on some of these different, all these speed bumps along the way to any product. It doesn't matter whether it's digital, whether it's online. And I think once we hit one, sometimes we obsess on it and it's it gets us stuck. So it sounds to me like what you're saying is that you didn't, that you don't let the avatar get you stuck, that you follow the path of the story, which is where your imagination is going anyways. And that way we are always got forward momentum. And then when that, I'll put words in your mouth, but when that avatar comes into focus, it's just the last piece of the puzzle. For sure. Yeah. It's like, you know, I think I know story, story, story. I mean, that was a a huge message in every single marketing circle a couple of years ago. And I think it's still important now, but like, I think, I think you can overcome a lot of things like copy challenges and um, offer challenges and avatar challenges when you have that framework identified in advance because when you know what the story is you're not like trying to think of like slimy little hooks that are gonna like convince people to buy things with whatever the latest copy tactic is you just basically have to stick to your story and stick to the problems that are in your story and it just kind of writes itself you you know i'm a bit of a tools guy and so was there any piece of technology that you needed to implement that made a difference in this that surprised you or that you had to MacGyver yourself and invent that wasn't ready for prime time? Ah, uh, tools. Okay. I, I love tools too. Um, what are we using? Um, I mean, from a, like a social review standpoint, I really love stamped stamp.io. I mean, there's like, there's like, there's so many like Yotpo and all those things, but stamped was a really inexpensive, uh, review platform that also allows you to help aggregate uh, like social proof and stuff like that. Um, you know, we're, we do a lot of, uh, like micro influencer, uh, work as well. So, I mean, we do a lot, we use a lot of like Google sheets and stuff, but, um, one of my, my guy, Andrew, who's, uh, basically manages a lot of the marketing for us. He uses a tool called, uh, uh, scout social, I think it's called or mighty still, sorry, My, mighty scout, mighty scout. So, um, we do like a ton of micro influencer outreach on Instagram. So people between like 30 and 35,000 followers. And we ask them if they want to try the product and mighty scout, um, it aggregates all of the, um, all the, the, uh, the creative they put out there and uh, it gives you some metrics on like total reach and whatnot. But, um, if you're doing any sort of uh, influencer and micro influencer stuff. It's really good because you don't have to go and like, you can't right click to save an image on Instagram. You got to do some, like view the source or use the tool to do it. That's cool. Yeah. It's always, it's always good to know what tools there make a difference. And the whole influencer marketplace is in such a profound shift. I, I can tell you from being at last few conference, who knows when we're doing another one, but like at the last VidCon and stuff like that, I thought that the influencer bubble is burst in a lot of ways. At least the big influencer bubble is burst. And they, you know, they just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of sour grapes out there and, and recognizing and understanding the value in where the investment is when uh, with influencers. I think that's a bigger challenge than ever now. It's just not, it's just not the halcyon days where you just throw some money at somebody and they, they post your stuff, right? Yeah, I mostly, honestly, I don't, I don't give anybody money um, unless I'll, I've done a few macro influencers on YouTube and stuff like that, but like, or I've done a couple podcasts, like podcast ads and things like that. But um, Instagram, that the content is so like high by gone, right? Like I'm, we just basically give them product and I look at it as, I mean, we have a, a, a virtual assistant that does all the outreach. I don't even use any tools for it. I just went like old school. We send them the product, they take pictures, 
and they promote us. And I look at it as if I was to pay a photographer to take a picture of my product, I'm probably looking at like at least 50 bucks, you know, probably 80% of them are high enough quality that they're usable in, in other forms, other social proof. Um, but like if I make sales from it, fantastic. Um, I also get to grow my Instagram account from it. So it's like, we do it like at scale, like hundred plus, hundred plus a month, uh, micro influencers. So now, so this, now this product is a cornerstone product. You're, you're, I see on your store now that you're listing a bunch of other green products. Are, are you guys developing those yourselves? Are you looking for them on the outside? How are you, how are you building out your product mix for your, for your own store? We originally wanted to do offer more uh, or like more more frequent launches. Um, but as we kind of got into this, we just found that people like when we do sales and we do promotions, the, 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 the stuff that people buy, um, like more people buy the laundry detergent than, than anything else. Like we have beeswax wraps and they do they sell great and our dryer balls sell like crazy, too. But the other products, you know, they're kind of like incremental value. I don't even, we'll probably launch more stuff into the future, but it's from an actual revenue standpoint, it's it's a lot of work for not a lot of revenue, which is funny that you're hearing me say this because I'm very, in like a direct response world, I'm very pro uh, additional products. At this point in the game, I actually, I want to develop some more products that have, that are proprietary so that, you know, we stand out. Selling other products like wooden forks or something like that, and I see, and I understand the appeal to a certain extent, but I think it waters down the value in the the brilliant nature of this of the laundry strip because everybody who sees it, who who actually kind of understands it and purchases it, goes, "This is genius. Why weren't we doing this a long time ago?" And so there's a purity to it that I think that, and so you don't want to water that down with a bunch of other kind of just semi okay stuff. Exactly. Like, I mean, we have, we have, we have those four things. I think I have one right here. Like we have this, like this eating set. Um, and yeah, like, you know, people buy it and, but at the end of the day, um, I, I, I pretty much resonate with what you just said. Like, it's, uh, it, I, I think I'm going to shift more towards just proprietary stuff. Like I, we'll, we'll continue to sell all these things because people buy them and same with whole retailers, but yeah. So when I told my, when I told my, uh, my, my production manager about this interview, um, she lives in the UK and she, they, I, she wasn't aware of your product. So I took her to the page. She looked at it. She goes, Oh good. I'm going to get it. She said, and then she asked me and I, and I promised her I would ask you. She th- she had an idea for you. Are you ready for the idea, Ryan? I'm I'm ready. I'm ready. Using it as chacha for trade shows, printing logos on it as giveaways with with brand logos on it. That's her idea. I mean, that's not a bad idea. Like, yeah, to, to we we maintain our branding on there, and then also have some sort of like message on the back. yeah. There you go. I can see that work. Yeah, that, that was Liz's idea. Yeah, I, I'll definitely tell you. I told her it was a d- Liz's idea. Okay, Liz. If- I told her it was a dumb idea, and now you're making me look like an idiot. Well, I mean, <laughs> we've done we, one thing we did do that's kind of like that. I mean, obviously, it's not uh, not not from corporate branding or anything on it, but like we've done uh, direct mails. So we sent samples to um, an area over here. Um, and I have, I started this Facebook group at the beginning of COVID called like tri cities, uh, supporting each other, but I can't remember what I called, what it's called. Anyways, there's like 5,000 people in it now. And 
it's huge. I mean, it's huge for considering the size of where I live, but uh, it's funny because I'm seeing people having conversations about getting the product in the mail in my own little local circles here. And the, the coupon code that were, was on there, you know, we're not, I'm not seeing as many sales as I'm seeing people are, that are saying that they bought it. So, but I guess my long winded point is that we have tried print, printing a message on the back and there are eyeballs that, that see it just maybe not every person that gets it. Well, I, Ryan, I love chatting with you. You know, every time I get an opportunity to sit down with you, I, you, you're, you've got a curious mind about all things social. When I saw this product take off, I thought it's just going to be, I just want to dive in and get it, get a kind of a, a, a peek behind the scenes at, at, at how the product grew. And I knew it would be, I knew some of it would be flying by the seat of your pants stuff. Cause I know you <laughs> some all <laughs> don't tell your partners, uh, Ryan McKenzie. Thank you so much, buddy. If you're still with us, it means that you enjoy the getting into the weeds in a marketing campaign as much as I do. And the conversations that I have with Ryan, as I said off the top, uh, I always find them invigorating, enlightening. And I have to thank Ryan so much for openly sharing so many of the trials and tribulations that they went through as they launched this product with us. Uh, there was just so many gems of value in there that even as I was editing it, I was making extra notes of things that I should pay attention to for our next product launch. Before I wrap things up, a few favors that I'd like to ask of you. First of all, if you've not yet subscribed to this podcast, please do so. And if you feel so inclined, leaving a review in your podcasting network of choice is greatly appreciated. As well, I really rely on word of mouth to help grow our gray matters and our gray zone endeavor. As effectively, this podcast is designed to serve baby boomers and Gen Xers who want to remain relevant in the digital age, many of which are looking at reinventing themselves as the job market and the employment market is changing. And a lot of us are facing retirement and we are not necessarily ready to retire, but we're not too sure just how to reinvent ourselves to avoid uh, to avoid the pitfalls of being basically marginalized. Instead, charting our own course online is one option. That is what this podcast is dedicated to. So if you know others that are in that space, please share this podcast with them, share our Facebook group with them, encourage them to join in on the gray zone and learn more about how we as a community are helping baby boomers and Gen Xers reinvent ourselves to remain relevant in the digital age. Till next week, I'm Steve Dotto. Have fun storming a castle.